Hey, my name is Kenny, and I'm one of the leaders here at the church, and I get to open the scriptures with you today. I'm looking forward to it. So if you have your Bibles or your device, Exodus 20 is where we're going to be hanging out this morning. Exodus 20, verse 15 specifically. In Exodus 20, verse 15, it says, You shall not steal. Here we see another, in Hebrew, a a two-word command. Uh, Actually, in Hebrew, it's no stealing. And just as before, we'll take this text and we're going to run it through a grid of questions. Five questions. If you don't know those questions by now, hopefully you will get them soon. I believe in you. Okay, number one is, what am I supposed to learn? Okay, what did this mean for ancient Israel, this command? Why did God give this command? What does this reveal about God's heart and his ways? What are the implications of this law based on our New Testament situation? We're going to walk through these five questions, take this command through that grid this morning. Uh, Before I get there, though, I need to ask a quick question, that is this. Have you had something stolen from you? Have you ever been stolen from? Uh, when I was in high school, I actually, I grew up, I was a PK, pastor's kid. And so I had PK perks is what we call them. And one of those perks was first dibs on church janitorial. I, looking back, I don't know if it's really a perk, but... All right, I, I had that opportunity, okay? And uh, here's, here's something I learned very quickly. There's three things I want to point out. Number one is I was super surprised that not all of our women in the church were bald because there's so much hair in the bathroom. <laughs> Number two, dudes, your aim is horrible. <laughs> you laugh about it, but you know what I'm talking about. Number three, when you're doing janitorial downstairs in the basement, your shadow is not a killer waiting to take care of you, okay, right? That was one of the most awful experiences as a janitor. It's like everywhere I looked, there was my shadow and I thought it was somebody else, right? Gosh, it was, uh, I don't know how perky it was. Anyhow, I got a wage, okay? I, I did janitorial when I was in high school. I got a wage one day. I went and cashed my check. I took all of the cash, which was a large sums of money, okay? And I took that cash, I put it in my wallet, put it in my pant pocket, went off with my weekend. The next week, Monday, I have gym class. I'm in high school. Those pants are clean, of course. And so I put them on and I go off to school. And so I ended up putting my pants on, obviously, taking to school, going to gym class, put on my gym clothes, leave my pants on a bench. When I'm in PE class, I remember, oh no, my wallet's in there. So I go back. All of my cash is gone. I mean, I don't even know if it was 200 bucks, but it was all gone. And this feeling in my stomach, just this right in the pit of my stomach, I felt violated. I felt, it wasn't because of the money, it was because someone took what was mine. Took something I earned. And this was the most awful feeling I had ever, ever 
really, frankly, had in high school. Uh, in high school after gym class, you know, it was one thing to lose, lose at dodgeball. is another thing to have your stuff stolen from you. But it was awful. And, and this leads me to some truths, okay? Uh, one truth is ownership is a reality. And we actually see these uh, in the scriptures. Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. I'm going to put it up here on the screen. But from the beginning, we've seen that God gave mankind ownership. And this is what it says. Verse 27 of chapter 1. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. So God creates mankind blesses them, and gives them rule or ownership. Uh, Dr. Walter C. Kaiser, he says it this way, it was at creation that God the creator committed the world and its resources to humanity. It was because the man and the woman were made in the image of God, that they were commanded to subdue the created order and to exercise dominion over the whole of it. Now, obviously, ownership has changed a bit since the beginning of time. What I mean by that is, man, there's a lot of paperwork. There's particular people you need to talk with, you know, have inspections done. I'm thinking just about my house. You know, when I went to buy that, there were certain hoops I had to jump through. But with ownership as a reality, stealing is a possibility. What's amazing, though, is that God says no. This commandment reveals some character about our God. While God says no, he's also saying, I can be fully trusted. I will never rob you. I will never defraud you. I will never lie or cheat. I am not out to take advantage of you. Instead, I love you and I am for you. One of the highlights in my life, uh, I've got a number of those, but one of those highlights was when I became a father. I remember the first time I saw my son in the nursery. It's like there was so much love in the room. I loved my son so much. First time I laid eyes on him. I didn't go into the nursery and say, hey, you know what, Parker, here's the deal, bro. Grab your bottle, fill it up, drink out of it. Based on your performance, we'll talk about my love. That's not what happened. I loved Parker. Parker is my son. Now, Parker's three. I still love him. But there's some things that I hope for Parker. Actually, I hope that he'll instill, that he'll write on his heart. One of those things is this. Don't run in the street. Parker, do not run in the street. 
I love Parker and I've given him this rule to keep him from harm, to keep him, frankly, from death. So how do you see this situation? Do you see me as a good father? Think I'm a knucklehead? No, I bet many of you, how many parents we got in the room? Okay, all of you would probably say, no, Kenny, I get it, man. I had the same rule. You love your kids and you give them lane lines. This is where I'm stuck a bit, though, and this is where I can get a little confused. How is this different than our Heavenly Father? I don't find much contrast. This is God's position. God loves you. It was his position then for Israel, and it's his position now. You know, in the context of Exodus, God rescues Israel. God saves Israel. For us, God loves us. And he actually doesn't just give us lip service. He actually demonstrates his love through his son, Jesus. Jesus saves. So yes, God saves. In Jesus, you and I, right here, if you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then guess what? You are genuinely new, period. That's amazing, friends. Why? Because I don't want my story up on that screen. I don't want to show you Kenny Stone. In Jesus, I'm genuinely new. That is great news. And then, here's the deal. Not only is Jesus, Jesus saves, right? One day, we will be with him forever. We will be saved. We will be totally new. That is great news, right? So, totally new, right? Future, today, genuinely new. But now, as we wait to get here, we're in process, what does that mean? That means there's saving to be done today. Through the power of the Spirit, God has new ways for you today. See, God wants to lead us to life. He wants to lead us in ways that are not towards destruction, but lead to life. There are crevices in our hearts that God still wants to mend, that God still wants to change, that God still wants to renew. His ways, he wants to write on our hearts entirely. And this is very similar for my son Parker. I want to instill in him, son, please don't run in For God to give this commandment doesn't just reveal his character. It actually gives us some insight to our character. What kind of people need to be told, you shall not steal? People that steal. People who take advantage of others. People who will be unfair to one another. Now, stealing is not just a possibility. It's actually a prevalent problem. Let's consider the security that you experienced from your car to here. Okay, number one, you probably locked your car. Many of you, okay, when you locked it, that also initiated an alarm. 
Now, if you drive an old school, that's cool. All right, that's cool. When you got out of your car, though, this is an industrial park, so I'm assuming there's surveillance security. When you walked in here, nobody took your purse or your wallet and placed it at the entrance out there, just on the ground. It's all good. Be here when I get back. No, you have your wallet or your purse near you. It's secure, right? These are just some levels of security that have been taken since you got here. And, and this doesn't have to do with, you know, getting here and walking in, but has anybody else had trouble inserting your debit card or credit card rather than... Okay, I'm not... Okay, I was the only one during the 9 a.m. gathering. Like, literally, the lady's like, no, you need to insert, and I'm just like this. I feel like those whole chip things for our cards has confused us as a nation. I don't know. All of these are measures that are taken to keep us from being stolen from. If you disagree, I I, I don't believe it because, I mean, none of you would, again, leave your door unlocked and go on vacation. Stealing's a problem. Here's here's a few stats that I got from one of my law enforcement friends. Um, Number one is there are about 8.5 million reported thefts per year in the U.S., Lots, I guess, aren't reported. For an estimated financial cost to the victims of $14.5 billion per year. Theft in the U.S. is three times higher than theft in Japan. We steal a lot in this country. 11% of the population in the U.S. believe it's okay to cheat on your taxes. In Portland, okay, Theft is 70% of all reported crime. We also, though, he says this to me in an email, we also separate auto theft, which is 10%, and burglary, which is 12%. So in total, 92% of all crime in Portland is stealing. Stealing is a problem now. And it was a problem then. Because this command here, this, this applies to Israel. As I stated before, for this command to make sense, there had to be some notion of ownership, even for Israel in Exodus. Thou shall not steal is further developed in chapters 21 and 22. And I just want to give you a couple of examples because it kind of, how it bleeds itself out here. Here we go. Exodus 22, verse 1, this has to do with taking animals. Whoever steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. Exodus 22, 7, having to do with material things. If anyone gives a neighbor silver or goods for safekeeping and they are stolen from the neighbor's house, the thief, if caught, must pay back Double. Why did God give this command? Well, stealing threatens the social order and causes pain to others by undermining the ability to possess with sure access to things that are useful and needful. The food thief makes others go hungry. 
The animal thief interrupts farming. The kidnapper tears apart families. The clothing thief makes another suffer in the sun or cold. Stealing is a threat to society. Stealing is a threat physiologically and tangibly. It, bre it breeds distrust and strife. So what are the New Testament implications for us in, in our situation, okay? Well, simply put, I, I think much remains still the same today. Stealing is a threat to society. It was never God's plan for this world. As I said earlier, God loves you. But here's the thing. He also loves your neighbor. God wants you to love them. He wants you to serve them. He wants you to help them. God wants to bless them through you. It was never God's plan to steal. Our faith, though, can become very selfish. And then Jesus comes and says, love your neighbor. Frankly, the commandments 5 through 10 are mostly about loving your neighbor. One way to love your neighbor is to not steal from them. One way to not hurt your neighbor is to not steal from them. What are some ways that we steal that maybe aren't as obvious? One, cheating on tests. Two, illegal downloads. The internet has given us the opportunity to steal without even looking our neighbor in the eye. Employers underpaying. Employees leaving early. Employees wasting time. Hey man, how was work today? It was great. I was on the internet looking for a new job. All of this categorizes as stealing. If it's theirs, it's not yours. Their test answers are not yours. Their music is not yours. The money they earned should be paid and not kept for your business. The time that they use to hire you is theirs, not yours. Work all of your hours. Work every minute and work hard. Don't steal. Instead of getting caught up, though, in what we don't have or what we lack or what we want, I think we should get caught up in what it's like to be God's kids. What does life look like? If you want to obey the law instead of break it, you want to live out your identity in Jesus? From a position of love, God uses the Ten Commandments to instruct us. Because of God's grace, there's a new path a new way to be lived. You shall not steal guides us into ways of generosity, honesty, fairness, moderation, frugality, timely payments, wholehearted efforts, sincere promises, and so forth. Did you hear all those things? Is that who you want to hang out with? Is that the kind of person you want to, want to kick it with? I, I do. I want to be around people who are generous. I want to be around people who are fair. I want to be around people who are honest. I want to be around employers who pay on time. Are these characteristics found in your life? 
If not, there is freedom to be had. There is freedom to be discovered. Rather than steal, God's called us to love, to love him and to love others. Not to earn God's approval. In Jesus, you already have his approval. But as God's kids, secure in him, we naturally want to delight, resemble, and imitate our God. In other words, what are you going to give rather than take? How do you see your stuff? I think there's three ways that I came up with this week. One is mine. And I'm telling you, every time I said that in my office, I could not get those darn seagulls out of my mind. Mine is a posture of just clenched fists. It's, it's, it's mine. Another way is your stuff is mine. No matter what it takes, I will get it. Even if I have to steal it. The third way is this. What's mine is his and I'll share it. I'll steward it. The idea is derived from everything belonging to God. Everything comes from God and everything will eventually return to God. That everything is God's and that whatever we have has been entrusted to us as stewards. This idea is similar to being the executor of a will. Someone in your family passes away, they've given you the position of, hey, make sure my goods are passed out appropriately to what I have asked you to do. A steward sees all belongs to God, it comes to me, and then I'm the executor. When I was um, in college, I, I met Kimberly, my wife, and one of the things that I was most attracted to Kimberly about uh, was, was a, a story. that one, one, she's just a phenomenal woman. I married up big time. Fellas, at this point, you're supposed to be going like this. If you didn't even hear what I said, just go like this. Okay. No. I married up big time. And, but one of the things that uh, I found so attractive was there was a story that I heard about Kimberly. And Kimberly was an RA. So she, was over, she had oversight of a hall and all these girls okay and these girls like she was these girls point of contact when it came to questions or uh, hot water issues or man just just being a an ear to to hey will you listen to me Kim so this Kim Kimberly was an RA residence assistant and she caught wind that one of her girls wasn't going home for the holidays and in that moment the spirit compelled my wife to, play, to pay for that plane ticket. My wife understands stewardship. Understood that that money was his, but she was the executor. This is the idea of stewardship. Whatever has come to me, I've been entrusted with by God. I'm a steward. What's crazy, though, is when you think about the idea of stealing again, is that your neighbor is also a steward. 
When we steal, we not only take our neighbor's stuff, but we take from them the opportunity to serve God with that stuff. Have you stolen? Have you stolen? The good news is, in Jesus, you're forgiven. In Jesus, your sin is no more. In Jesus, your sin is no longer held against you. There's new life. We receive this from our king, but we must also be led in new ways. Make it right. If you've stolen, make it right. If you have your Bibles, again, or your devices, turn to Luke 19. I want to show you the story of Zacchaeus. And being a dad, man, I can't get that voice out of my head. He was a wee little man. Chapter 19 in Luke, verse 1. It says this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot of the sycamore tree, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Let's pause for just a moment. Jesus shows up at Zacchaeus' house. All right, he goes there. He's there. Verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. So there's some people around that aren't very happy about this. How could he do that? All right? Then, while he's at the house, something happens. Something takes place, and the details are left out. Here we go, verse 8. But Zacchaeus, while him and Jesus are hanging out, stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Verse 9, this is key. Jesus said to him, Today, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The details are left out. I, I don't know what was all said, but at a moment, what happens? Zacchaeus places his trust, his hope in Jesus. And as a result, he says, I'm going to go and make restitution for the things that I've wronged. Now, why were all these people talking about Zacchaeus? Well, they're talking about Zacchaeus because they didn't like Zacchaeus. Why didn't they like Zacchaeus? Well, he was a tax collector. Not only did he take taxes, but he took some for himself off the top. He stole. 
He was a thief. And so, Jesus, though, he shows up, he says, I came to save the lost. Salvation has come to this house. And so, as Jesus followers, I think we got to learn from this story that, man, if you today are feeling convicted, you need to make it right. One, know you've already, know, know that you already are forgiven by God, that God already paid your debt. But here's the deal if you go to your neighbor and you say, hey, man, so I'm feeling pretty convicted. The Lord has convicted me. I stole from you last week, and I'm sorry. I guarantee your neighbor is going to say to you, bro, that's great, but where's my stuff? Make it right. Restitution. Exodus, I read for you earlier, it also affirms this idea of restitution. It says that, hey, if you stole an ox, you need to go and get five and bring them back to him. So it affirms this idea of restitution and we need to make things right as followers of Jesus. I think the, uh, the other thing that, you know, jumping back over to kind of the circle of stewardship, all is God's. He's entrusted it to you. Are you robbing God? That's something we never got into. Something we didn't talk a lot about, but as stewards, God's entrusted it to you. So I'm going to ask the band to come up. And I want us to think about these two things as Jesus followers. One is, if you've stolen, make it right. This is your opportunity to step in to the grace that God has given you. The grace, one, to forgive you of your sin. Number two, though, to step into his ways, which are far better. But Kenny, but Kenny, but this, but that. No, I didn't really. Will you step in to his grace? But then the stewardship too, you know, are you robbing God of something? Are you robbing God of what's his? I don't know what that looks like for you, but it's these two spaces that I want us to kind of be quiet before the Lord and ask ourselves, Spirit, is there something that I need to make right? Or a way that I need to start living that I'm not now in regards to stealing or, or stewardship? Have you ever taken something that's not yours? We love your neighbor and make right what's wronged. We love God and out of his love for you, steward his stuff well. Please take a moment to just be before God. Bow your head. There's nothing, no ritual thing about that. It's just to concentrate. Just to have some time that's quiet before the Lord. Search in your heart. And in a few moments, Brandon and the band will begin worshiping in song again. And please at that time, when you're ready, Join them.